Hi, welcome to the Your Adrenal Fix podcast, where we help exhausted and burnt out adults learn the truth about adrenal fatigue so that they can get their health back quickly. My name is Dr. Joel Rosen, and I've suffered with my own adrenal fatigue problem, and now I've made it my mission to tell the truth about adrenal fatigue so that we can get to the root cause of your problem and really teach you how to put the puzzle pieces together so that you could tap into your hidden energy reserves and have all day energy. So this podcast is for anyone who's struggling for years or feeling overwhelmed and burnt out or you're just feeling stuck you're going to get cutting edge information from all our different guests in different respected health fields to give you those important tidbits of information so that you can actually act on them and improve your health join us for our podcast i know you will enjoy it Hello everyone and welcome back to another edition of Your Adrenal Fix where we teach exhausted and burnt out adults the truth about their health so that they can get their health back quickly. And it's a pleasure for me to be joined by Michael Platt, MD, who's uh, board certified internal medicine. He specializes in wellness and hormone therapy. He's considered one of the leading experts in managing excess adrenaline and the use of high dose progesterone. He's the author of three books, The Miracle of Bioidentical Hormones, The Platt Protocol for Hormone Balancing. And the one that we want to be talking about today is the adrenaline dominant. So um, Dr. Platt, thank you so much for being here today. I'm glad to be here. Excellent. Thank you. So I always start with hearing maybe your own health journey and why you uh, maybe the, 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 the Reader's Digest version of why you got into healthcare in the first place and, um, and, and tell us about any health challenges or why you got into this area in the first place. <clears throat> well, it, <clears throat> I, well, in terms of becoming a doctor, it, it's just something I always wanted to be. And but um, what actually um, guided my uh, my way into, into hormones was the fact that my mother died of breast cancer at the age of 61. She's pretty young. And I realized right after she died that I had inherited her hormones. You know, most people don't realize that men and women have the identical hormones, different, different levels, but the same hormones. And the fact that she had breast cancer <clears throat> you know, told me that she was low in progesterone, too much estrogen. And, um, and, and, and the thing is, at that time when I was driving, I used to have to slap my face trying to keep my eyes open. And, um, and I thought, well, maybe there's some kind of relationship here. And, and I figured I was, I was putting out too much insulin. And I thought, well, because she's low in I said, I'm probably low in progesterone just like my mother is. So I started using progesterone, and since from the first day that I've done that, I've never gotten sleepy in a car anymore, and that got me really interested in hormones. And so I, you know, learned as much as I could, and um, and I had a great advantage over a lot of other doctors because um, I had, you know, I. <clears throat> um, I was able to spend at least two hours with every patient. And let me tell you something, you know, when you sit down and talk to a person and find out what their problems are and then see, see how they re <clears throat> react to certain things, you learn a lot. And, you know, if you, one thing you might notice in my books, there are no references because everything I've learned, I've learned from my patient. 
um, you know, they, they call that observational based medicine. Um, doctors are more comfortable with what they call, uh, what's the other type? Um, like peer reviewed, research based, articles. Yeah. Like yeah. But anyway, so that's, uh, but that's how I got involved with, with hormones and. <clears throat> Right. Gotcha. So and, and and you are outspoken about that. Maybe we'll just go into it a little bit in terms of just being dissatisfied with the medical system, finding <laughs> out that your mother, you know, passed away with potentially a condition that had she been properly worked up, she could have stayed around for longer, um, having the benefit of having two hours with each patient and asking questions and pulling in relevant information that you can't glean in a, in a two minute encounter. Um, and you've mentioned um, how the idea is unknown in, in the medical community and, and misdiagnosing. Um, so maybe we can start from there in terms of why, why is that happening, do you feel? Well, <clears throat> something that a lot of people are not aware of that doctors, first of all, they get no training in hormones. Even though hormones control everything in the body, doctors get no training in hormones. Um, and what's interesting, especially gynecologists, and that's how women go to get hormone advice. The, uh, and the other thing is that doctors are not trained to treat the cause of illness. Um, they're just trained to give out Band-Aids. And <clears throat> a lot of this, of course, is because drug companies have a tremendous control over how medicine is practiced. <clears throat> and, you know, they control the FDA, they control the medical boards, <laughs> they control medical schools. Um, and they and what's interesting about drug companies, they have no interest in people being healthy. And that's who runs our whole medical system. And that's why, as we speak, the United States is on the bottom of the list of all civilized countries in terms of healthcare. We have a terrible healthcare system, but and, and people not aware of it. Uh, yeah, it is. It is discouraging. And I, and I do think it's sort of like a, a ship turning in the ocean. It, it takes a long time to really see progress. But I guess just glancing out into the future, do you see that ever changing? Do you see that there's enough um, doctors, I guess, as the as the older, um, I guess, the older trained doctors phase out and the newer ones change in that will have some form of medicine 3.0 at some point, or do you see that happening? <clears throat> I don't see it. I, <clears throat> to be honest, I, I do not see it changing. Do not, not see, see it changing. Okay, well, with that, let's let's go into the uh, great information that you've discovered with just your own uh, observations and with your patient base. You wrote this book called uh, Adrenaline Dominance. So uh, what, what exactly is adrenaline dominance? Well, <clears throat> Um, I think most most people have heard, have heard of adrenaline. Uh, it, it's both a hormone as well as a neurotransmitter. And what people are not aware of is the fact that this is a very powerful hormone, and and that has a has a tremendous influence on that, on our health. Um, and because, you know, most people think of adrenaline as what they call the fight or flight hormone. And, and that's true. You know, when people are in danger, the body pours out adrenaline. But that's a very rare reason why the body releases adrenaline. What, 
most people do not know is that the brain uses more sugar than any other part uh, tissue in the body. And anytime the body detects that the brain is running out of, of glucose, sugar, it puts out adrenaline to raise glucose levels. So the main function of adrenaline is to raise sugar levels. Um, the, um, and this is something that goes on all day and all night, you know, the, the body trying to keep, keep uh, sugar levels. And as, as a result, people can start having a lot of symptoms related to excess adrenaline. And when people have a number of these symptoms, this is what I refer to <clears throat> as adrenaline dominance. You know, people have heard of estrogen dominance from, from Dr. John Lee. <clears throat> and this is another type of dominance, just adrenaline dominance. And we can talk about all the symptoms <laughs> related to excess adrenaline, if you want. Yeah, let's do that. Let's just go parlay right into if someone is dealing with excess adrenaline dominance, then what would they present as? Well, um, <clears throat> The uh, there are many people that have what's called insomnia. It <clears throat> troubles, you know, staying asleep. Some people have trouble falling asleep. Uh, some people toss and turn. They grind their teeth at night. They get up at night to urinate. Um, these are all actually symptoms of excess adrenaline. Um, and again, when people have a lot of adrenaline, um, they'll they'll probably notice they carry a lot of tension at the back of your of their neck. And this tension can cause ringing in the ears, tinnitus, <clears throat> and it can cause severe headaches called occipital neuritis, which are always mistaken for migraines. But every patient that I've ever seen who's been diagnosed with a migraine actually has occipital neuritis. And <clears throat> now the difference between that and the migraine is that the occipital neuritis is easy to fix. And we'll talk about this. Um, the... Um, Again, when people have a lot of adrenaline, adrenaline is the cause of anxiety. There's a lot of talk about anxiety nowadays. Um, the uh, the other thing is it, it's an anger hormone. And you may have heard of road rage. And road rage is caused by excess adrenaline. Uh, when people have a lot of adrenaline, they might notice they have, a lot of, they have cold hands and cold feet because adrenaline constricts blood vessels. <clears throat> um, it's a survival hormone. So it cuts off blood supply. To areas of the body not needed for survival. And um, so this is where something called irritable bowel syndrome comes from, uh, IBS, because it cuts off blood supply to the intestines because they're not needed for survival, you know, when people are in danger. So, <clears throat> so and there are a lot of conditions that we'll talk about that are related to excess adrenaline. Um, and that's where the, the good, the bad, and the ugly comes in. You, you, the way <clears throat> in my book, um, and I, and each chapter I talk about the good, and and what and the bad, and and uh, and the ugly, and what's interesting, <clears throat> the only condition that I put into the good category was ADHD, and that might surprise a lot of people, because <laughs> um, ADHD is terribly underdiagnosed. Um, the anybody who's intelligent actually usually has ADHD um, because the adrenaline is the hormone that gives people intelligence. Um, and we'll, and later on we can talk about <clears throat> some of these conditions. 
Okay, no, excellent. So as far as I would like to get into the good and the bad and the ugly, I guess just one of the questions I would have is because of Wi-Fi and internet and text messaging and notifications and emails, and even just the, the way that glutamate is in our foods and uh, artificial flavors and sweeteners and stuff like that. Do you see, uh, Dr. Platt, that the adrenaline dominance is, is getting worse over time, not better, or is it staying at that about the same? That's a very interesting question. I, I think it's about the same because all the conditions we're going to talk about are still as prevalent now as they were when I was in medical school. Right. Well, I, I would just say, and I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because I know glutamate is, is another major excitatory neurotransmitter and with glyphosates in our soils and all of the MSG and the artificial uh, foods that um, have very high amounts of glutamate, if you ask educators or you ask um, social workers or any one of them, hey, tell us about your, your, your new entry student uh, that are coming in. Are, are you seeing a difference even within the last five years or 10 years and 100%? I mean, you look at these school shootings and you look at all of these these crazy anger rages would you would you at some level connect that to other factors or that's that's just sort of a prototypical adrenaline dominance presentation well <clears throat> there's always other factors involved but right. I, I think adrenaline is a key factor right um Right. Okay. So let's get into the, the why ADHD. It, there's different classifications of it in your book, and and how they manifest and and the relationship between that and too much adrenaline. The um, yeah. First of all, let me explain to people about what <clears throat> uh, ADHD stands for Attention Deficit <clears throat> Hyperactivity Disorder, and and the thing you know it's not a learning disorder. Uh, ADHD is an interest disorder. If people with ADHD are interested, they will focus. If they're not interested, they will not focus. And the um, and what causes ADHD is excess adrenaline. And adrenaline makes the mind go very quickly. So that's why it's hard for them to focus on things they're not interested in. But what's interesting is that if you, and we will be talking about treating excess adrenaline, but you can actually eliminate, eliminate ADHD uh, in as little as 24 hours just by lowering adrenaline. Um, you know, I've, you know, right now they, they put children on drugs like Ritalin and Stratarin, um, Adderall. And, and what a lot of people don't realize that one of the side effects of these drugs is sudden death. And they're giving these drugs to children. And yet here we are, we're in a position where you can actually eliminate ADHD without drugs, and it's unknown to the medical community. Right. And so maybe we can go into that. So you were noticing that when you were driving, you couldn't stay awake, and your mother and her her premature death from, from estrogen dominance. And I guess connect the dots for me and the listeners, how progesterone was that puzzle piece that not only helped with the conditions, but helped to ameliorate the, the excess adrenaline? Well, <clears throat> progesterone um, has, has primarily been known as an anti-estrogen hormone. 
In fact, <clears throat> that's all it's been known for. What what but what's is it what's unknown about it, uh, progesterone is that not only does it block estrogen, but it also blocks insulin and it blocks adrenaline. And it, it's really a remarkable miracle type hormone that is unknown again to the medical community for the most part. So when you say block, you mean it competes with receptor site um, or how, 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 how does it block it? What do you mean by that? Okay. Now keep in mind that I'm not a scientist or researcher. Right. Okay. And I, I'm, I observe. Right. And so the so, theory, so, the theory, yeah. Yeah. So I just assume what it does is that it just block, blocks the same receptor sites, you know, that, you know, if it, it blocks the estrogen and the, and the adrenaline receptor site. Right. Well, what I like about your, you know, with your observation and you, you noted in your book, I mean, that's how we observed uh, penicillin, right. And was, was able to justify that. And if we didn't have the ability to put together our thinking caps and, and see cause and effect, we wouldn't be able to have these validations of things that are effective. So as far as um, the, with the progesterone, I guess, to take me through um, how you, like, I like the concept of, of pulsing and knowing, okay, if I take this and it helps, then it's this, if it doesn't, it's that. So take us through sort of the, the mindset of uh, clinically seeing these, these causes and effects. Well, <clears throat> the, um, what's nice about progesterone when people have a lot of adrenaline and, you know, they, they excess anger and they, they can't sleep and, you know, when you see people sitting down and their knee is going up and down, that's all adrenaline. Okay. So what's nice about progesterone is that um, right after you apply it, basically with, within just a few minutes, people feel more relaxed and they can focus better. You, which means yeah, <laughs> it helps with their ADHD. So anyway, the, um, um, so it, it's not the kind of thing where if you take where you take a drug and just wait three weeks to see if something happens here, you get immediate feedback. Right. And you, and you have your own formulation. I'm curious to know about the, the dosing strategies. What, what have you found the, the appropriate starting off and based on your clinical background and just under seeing the, the, the impact that it's having, what's typically the, the approach. The, um, well, first of all, people need to realize that it's, it's a very um, uh, safe hormone to take. <clears throat> the, um, and, but when it comes to adrenaline, uh, what, and, and this again is through observation and this, that, whatever, what I have found is that the ideal strength of progesterone should be a 5% 5, <clears throat> 5 cream. And 5% means that each pump is 50 milligrams. And that's the exact strength you need to block adrenaline. Uh, most over-the-counter progesterones are 2%. So they really don't even touch adrenaline. And But the, <clears throat> what's nice about progesterone, just to give you an idea of how safe it is, is that I, I use progesterone um, to treat babies that have colic. Now, colic is caused by adrenaline. And these are the babies that when, when they're in the womb are the ones that do all the kicking. And so, and that kicking is just a, another sign of excess adrenaline. So 
when but the when the baby is in the womb, it gets it gets exposed to incredibly high levels of progesterone. I mean, ones that can't be duplicated. So I have come to the conclusion that um, if a fetus can tolerate huge doses of progesterone, it's got to be safe for a child. So, right. so you're doing uh, so suggesting potentially five. 5%, which is 50 milligrams. And again, this is just for information purposes. Only talk to your provider or your doctor about what's appropriate for you. But as far <laughs> as the um, 50 milligrams, would that be something that you could potentially, if you're not, if you're seeing a, a certain half-life where the, the patient or the person who's using it starts to feel that adrenaline coming back, you could do like every, every six hours or something like that? Oh, even... <clears throat> even sooner than every six hours. <clears throat> uh, it's ex I, you really can't harm yourself with progesterone. So I usually tell people if, if they have a lot of adrenaline, they're probably going to need it at, in the beginning four times a day. And, um, and then as the adrenaline levels come down, then they can reduce the dosage. Right. But right. usually tw yeah, to twice a day. But what, but, but <clears throat> But, and we're, we're gonna go into this later, you know, the um, progesterone cream is one of the treatments. It's not the main treatment. Um, you know, the main treatment is to treat the reason why the body's putting out adrenaline. And again, remember we talked about sugar levels and so we'll, we'll talk about that. But while we're talking about progesterone, one thing I, I really have to let your listeners know that, um, Probably 90% of the progesterones that are sold today are in the form of capsules, like Prometrium. And the whole thing about oral progesterone is that it, it gets in the GI tract, goes straight to the liver. <clears throat> Once it goes to the liver, the liver converts it into a different hormone called allopregnanolone. So oral progesterone is not progesterone. And yet that's the progesterone that doctors are prescribing, of course. Um, that's so whereas so, you do it from a from a cream let's maybe tell the listener what what how more what the effectiveness of that is well the 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 cream gets absorbed transdermally so it goes directly into the bloodstream um and again when you take it orally it goes straight to the liver and converts into a different hormone so that that's the difference between them right um just, just curious, because um, I, I do different kinds of uh, sort of outside the box testing. Is there? Do you ever? I mean, it, it, it's all uh, when you when you it's when you present with adrenaline like symptoms and the laundry list of all the different ways that it shows up in your body. It's not really a question of whether it's a problem or not. Um, but with that being said, is there ever or have you ever done? urinary uh, testing to see what the levels are for pre and post? Or do you ever do um, testing to see what the progesterone levels are? Uh, or what's your suggestion with having that as the companion guide to, to the concept? You know, to be honest with you, I don't ever remember ordering a progesterone level. Um, I've always, always have felt more comfortable <clears throat> treating patients rather than lab tests. And the reason for that, you could never go wrong treating a patient, but you go awfully wrong treating a lab test because lab tests vary. 
And I should, while we're talking about lab tests, you know, people had to be very careful uh, about saliva tests. And um, I, I know all the, all the arguments, pro and con, but, but I also know about adrenaline. And adrenaline, um, remember I mentioned it's a survival hormone. And it cuts off blood supply to certain areas of the body. And one of these areas are the salivary glands because they're not needed for survival. So uh, again, I don't trust any of the levels from a saliva test if people, because you know, most of the people I've seen have a lot of adrenaline. Not everybody does, but a lot of people I've seen. Right, and it's a good segue, and I thank you for sharing your observations. As far as the, the you write in your book about the difficulty or the, the to be aware of the difference between uh, adrenal fatigue per se and adrenaline dominance. And you do mention that with the saliva tests where a lot of the times those saliva tests will be low, just to paraphrase what you were saying, because of the fact that adrenaline is so high and as adrenaline is so high and it cre creates constriction of the vessels that create blood flow that cuts off the ability to create um, uh, I guess a cortisol in the saliva. The other thing that I would find to be uh, also going on at the same time, because as you mentioned, there's a lot of host of other things. There's a cell danger phenomena where if you are in, in fight or flight survival mode and your body only has a limited amount of resources to, to get over the, the immediate survival for, um, for survival purposes, um, it, 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 it prioritizes what it does and what it doesn't do. So what I've seen is that it it binds it has more binding protein so that it doesn't allow that free fraction to be available in the saliva. So that's one of the ways that it could also explain why the saliva levels would be lower. But I agree with you is that you have to be careful with a test to make an interpretation because if that saliva percentage only represents say one to 5% of the total and the amount is the other 95%, I've always said it's like looking at an ocean like this and saying there's no boats in the ocean and then taking off the blinders and seeing the 95% of the other part of the ocean. Um, so, so I do appreciate that. Um, I guess what would you say then is, is if you were to say, is it an adrenal fatigue problem or is it a, is it an adrenaline dominance problem? How, how do you answer that? Well, <clears throat> you know, usually what I, I tell people that adrenal fatigue is a condition that does not exist. Um, <clears throat> it's a, it's basically a naturopath diagnosis because they're the ones that do the saliva test. And, um, but so the thing, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the, the hormones don't get into the saliva because the adrenaline is cutting off the uh, blood supply to the salivary glands. And, <clears throat> but they would find, so, so when they get the cortisol level in the saliva, it's going to be on the low side. And based on that, they diagnose adrenal fatigue. But if they did a blood test for that cortisol level, they would find that the cortisol level is high. Now, again, they had to be careful. Um, you know, there's so much misinformation in the medical system. You have no idea. But the thing is, is that the way they determine normal levels of cortisol in the blood is they tested medical students in hospitals because they're readily available, you know, to, to do studies on. And the thing about, you know, doctors, medical students, they all have increased adrenaline. 
I, I can't say 100%, but it's probably pretty close to that. And so the so for the normal level of cortisol, they have it down as either 19.4 or 23.4, depending on the laboratory. Um, but you have to remember that they were testing people that had high adrenaline levels. So what I'm saying is that <clears throat> when they do a cortisol level on the blood, and it has to be before nine o'clock in the morning, um, the um, the any level above 13.5, I consider high, even though the normal level goes up to 19.4. So, um, but but again, that's the advantage I had of being able to spend a lot, a lot of times with patients. Um, right. Yeah, no, I, I, just to, to, to recap, I, I, and I agree with that to a, an extent, and I'll just share some of my experiences that if you're making a, if you're basing your, your standard of what's normal in, in a blood range on people that are exaggerated that, than the normal population, and you're comparing your levels to them, and you're told that it's low, then you have to question whether or not that's true or if there is such a thing as an adrenal fatigue problem. I've gone down the rabbit holes of the adrenal fatigue because of my own challenges. And the more I go down the, the holes, I realize it's it's a supply and demand problem. You have more demand than supply, and hence you could produce more adrenaline and fight or flight hormones. Um, but what I also find is that 95% of the HPA axis dysfunction occurs outside of the adrenals. So how the pituitary signals to make the ACTH or how the cortisol is converted to an inactive form through an 11 beta HSD enzyme or how the um, how the binding proteins bind more proteins. There's also heat shock protein. There's a lot of mechanics that go on. To, and, and I would say it's not really accurate to say it's high or it's low. It's dysregulated nonetheless. Um, but but that being said, um, as far as the, the, the next step, I guess you mentioned about blood sugar and the reasons why the brain would, or the, 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 signalers would would detect that the brain needs more support for for energy production and create a, a an increase in adrenaline production and create this dominance so in your book you talk about a types of dietary approaches which if doctors don't learn about hormones tell me what they learn about nutrition um <laughs> yeah well <clears throat> well while we're on while we're talking about this, I, I should explain where cortisol comes in with regard to adrenaline um, and why it's a, it's a good test to do. The um, adrenal, adrenaline actually peaks at 2.30 in the morning. And, and actually, a lot of people get at, the, at that time to urinate um, because adrenaline gets people that urge to urinate. Uh, in fact, they have a condition called um, overactive bladder in women that uh, these women that have, you know, have to rush to the toilet, otherwise they get leakage. And, but again, that overactive bladder is caused by adrenaline. And just like bedwetting in children is caused by adrenaline. And, um, but the thing is, is that adrenaline peaks at 2.30 in the morning. Now, remember, <clears throat> people are usually lying in bed at that time. And adrenaline is a very powerful hormone, you know, it, and the, um, so, 
it creates stress to the body and the body responds to stress by putting out cortisol. So now what's interesting, now remember the body is putting out adrenaline to raise sugar levels. And the other thing about cortisol, it also raises sugar levels. And the whole thing about sugar, it doesn't matter whether you're eating sugar or if the body's making sugar. If you don't burn it up, the body takes all that sugar that's not being used and puts it into fat cells for storage as fat. And I think that excess adrenaline is probably the number one cause of weight gain and nobody ever talks about it. Um, But that's either here or there. So so that's why uh, cortisol is a good test to do in the morning um, before nine o'clock. With blood and knowing that if it's above, say you've seen above 11 was the number that you typically see? or Actually, 13, 13.5. Yeah. So, so is it safe to say then that really it's adrenal uh, glands that produce both the catecholamines of adrenaline and cortisol um, that because the baseline being compared to medical students that are stressed and overworked in their in those terms, <laughs> they're being told that it's low. And really, the reality is that it's more of a, an adrenal dominance, not just adrenaline, but adrenal cortisol and adrenaline. Would you was that a fair statement in, from your fair, Yes, yeah. <clears throat> it is. Okay, so as far as your book, and you, you do get into brain supplementation as well, which I think is interesting. I want to get into that. But um, as far as it's not just, and the progesterone to recap, potentially 5%, which is 50 milligrams, starting out at somewhere between uh, about four doses a day until you notice the, the calming. Do you, I guess, before we get into the dietary approach, tell me how satisfying it must have been to see how effective this has been with the people that you've used it. Is it just sort of random, like maybe 10% of the people that fit the bill get results or, I mean, I obviously you can't put a definitive number, but what have you seen with this? Well, um, let, let me perhaps <clears throat> describe a patient that um, might explain how I feel. Um, this is, this was, and, and he's in my book. I, he said was 47 years old. The reason he came in to see me uh, is because every morning he would wake up and vomit. Now, the only thing, the only thing that causes that kind of problem is adrenaline. So, <clears throat> and the other thing is um, he had a lot of adrenaline and he had severe, severe fibromyalgia, which again is another condition caused by adrenaline. So the, um, so I, I took some progestin cream and I put it on his arm and he rubbed his two arms together and we started talking again. And after a few minutes, he sat back in his chair and he looked at me and he said, doc, in my entire life, I have never felt this good. Um, and let me tell you something, it's very rewarding to help a patient and doctors don't see that very often. And this is what they're missing. Um, again, it all comes down to treating the cause of illness. And for some reason, you know, the drug companies do not want doctors to know how to treat the cause of illness. Well, it's um, not so much for some reason, as you've mentioned in your book, you can't put a patent on a bioidentical. Would, would, would that be accurate in terms of why it wouldn't necessarily be part of the, the lexicon, so to speak? Well, more, more definitively, you, you can't patent a natural product. 
a natural product, right? Correct. Yeah. So, and and these bioidentical hormones are natural products. Right. So, have you seen? So, I guess just as a side note, with the Prevera and the Premarin, those be problematic at all? <laughs> That's a big uh, one. That's a big rabbit hole to go down, right? Well, uh, <clears throat> my mother was on Premarin, which is a horse estrogen. The, the body doesn't even recognize it, and yet. It, at one time it was the most <clears throat> most largest selling drug in the world. And what women never were told, you know, it, it came from pregnant mare's urine, that, you know, permanent pregnant years, mare's urine, uh, is that when these uh, mares gave birth to their colts or foals, they killed the foals because they had no need for them. So I think if women knew what how they have these for manufacture, they probably would not have. But in any event, um, these are synthetic hormones, uh, which student, and the only hormones that go to receptor sites are the natural ones, the ones that the receptor sites recognize. So it's, it's a, you can see why there's so many side effects associated with the proveras and the permarins. Right. Um, Right. I actually didn't know that. I mean, it, it makes sense. Pregnant mare is Premarin. Yeah, I didn't think I didn't know that that was how it was coined. So as far as what is the suggested adrenaline dominance diet that you've put in your book? Well, here's the thing. Remember, we, we talked about <clears throat> treating the cause of illness, you know, and, and the reason why the body is releasing adrenaline is to raise sugar levels to the brain. OK, so if you know that, um, and if you provide the fuel that the brain requires, the body doesn't have to use adrenaline to do it. And so the thing about the brain, it uses two different fuels. Now, one is glucose. And the, um, and the best source of glucose for the brain comes from vegetables. Not, you don't think of, of vegetables being high in glucose, but, they're, you know, but they are carbohydrates and they break down into sugar. But what's nice about these types of sugars, they don't produce a lot of insulin. You know, candy and soda are great sources of glucose, but they produce a lot of insulin, which, which lowers sugar levels and defeats the purpose. Okay, so, so glucose is one of the fuels. Now, the other fuel is even more important, and those are ketones. And, you know, if people have heard of a ketogenic diet, which I have never recommended because it's, it's a hard diet to accomplish. You know, people want to do it, they can, but... Um, the uh, but you can get ketones directly from coconut oil or something called MCT oil, which comes from coconut oil. So, if people add coconut oil or MCT oil and vegetables into their meal plan, uh, there's a significant drop in the adrenal levels. And this is the, the main key to controlling adrenaline is, is eating correctly. The progesterone is very helpful, but not as helpful as eating correctly. So yeah. these are things that people can do at home. They, they don't need to go to a doctor to, you know, to get coconut oil or MCT oil. Uh, and progesterone is an over-the-counter pr product. Um, you know, we have it on my website, you know, the 5% progesterone cream, but, but I'm just saying it's available. Right. Without a prescription. Right. So, so okay, to summarize, and you're, you're wanting to get, uh, maybe you can tell us a little more specifically, a, a low glycemic, healthy fiber-based carbohydrate that's going to deliver a steady fuel supply, but also at the same time removing the high fructose corn syrups and all of the, the sugary foods yeah. that spike the glucose yeah. and then 
getting MCT oils and potentially coconut oils. Um, as far as what's your theory, and I'm I, I'm sorry I didn't read specifically on. I know, and I'm against this where when people say they have this adrenal fatigue thing, when it's dysregulated challenges with too much stress in their body and a demand and supply problem, that they should eat multiple meals more slowly, or, or sorry, multiple meals frequently throughout the day, which I, I disagree with 100%. But what what's your thought process on um, what that diet should look like in terms of just everything else beyond what we've already mentioned? What else could they do to stabilize their adrenaline? The, <clears throat> you know, there's no one size fits all. And, and the reason for that, everybody's different. And, you know, for example, you know, in, in, in the, the book, I, I talk about creative people. And creative people actually have the most adrenaline. And, and, the, and the reason for that um, is that the creative brain is always, is always acting. So it's always working and, and uses up a lot of energy. So, so these are the people that have the most adrenaline because um, they're, they're using the brain the most. Um, that's why there are certain conditions that you only see in creative type people. For example, bedwetting in, in children, you only see that in creative type children. Um, women that vomit throughout their entire pregnancy, it's called hyperemesis gravidarum. You only see that in creative type women. Um, and, it, you know, these and, and all these conditions are caused by excess adrenaline, which doctors don't know, by the way. Um, so, I, I mean, how can you get somebody well if you don't know what's causing their problem? It just it boggles my mind that, you know, my book, Adrenaline Dominance, is the only book ever written that talks about adrenaline. Why is that? You know, I, yeah, I mean, Anyway, but um, so, but you, it, if doctors were aware of an alternative approach to getting people well, and they could get their patients feeling well, I think, you know, you probably have a lot more doctors getting, you know, wanting to go into medicine. Um, Right now, I think doctors are leaving medicine. Um, I'm just saying, um, it, it's not hard to get people well if you treat the reason why they're not well. It's, just, it's as simple as all that. Well, I mean, I think a big part of it amongst everything you've said is that just that interaction, the, take your, you know, the, I, I look about the old... Um, bring your your doctor's bag and do the health call and be the generalist and and listen to the patient and hear what their challenges are. It's not hard to figure out what what the Pareto's principle of what you could implement the smallest implementation for the biggest return. And it doesn't have to be a pharmaceutically based approach. And in this case, it's sensible. Let's let's figure this out. Let's get to the root of the problem. And I think even more so the root of the problem is not just so much diet, which is a huge part, but it's just all of the stimulants that we have. We're in fight or flight 24-7, the way that the world is going. That's when I asked you the question, do you think it's the same? In my opinion, I think it's it's sort of like, what is it? The sky's falling in terms of the worst of the worst as, as more, more, more challenges and stressors and 
and so forth create even more demands for adrenaline release besides just sugar? Um, are you familiar with the term long COVID? Yes, of course. Yep. And that seems to be a big issue nowadays. Um, but a lot of the symptoms of long COVID are actually related to excess adrenaline. Now, the thing is, when you talk about fight or flight, you know, what I have found is that some people with Lyme disease, where it's not fully treated, the body is in a fight or flight situation, and they have a lot of symptoms of excess adrenaline, in addition to the Lyme disease. People that are exposed to mold in their house, uh, I have found very often have a lot of excess adrenaline because I think the body, again, is in a fight or flight. And I think the same thing is happening with long COVID, that the virus is still around and the body is in a fight or flight mode. Um, but that's, but again, that's... Um, Um, I'm sorry about that. That's okay. Oh. Yeah, and I, and I agree with that. I mean, I do feel that, again, what I've looked at is try to simplify it as much as you possibly can and realize that with our, our fast-paced life and the depleted minerals in our soils and the food quality and, and the demands that we have, that we, we just, if we were a bank account, we'd be in the red. And when we're in the red like that, we got to figure out how to cash in our mutual funds or liquidate our assets and sell our stuff on eBay. And hence, we're in that adrenaline dominant state. Would, would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Yeah. Gotcha. So as far as the brain supplements that you recommend, which I, I, I peeked at and I, I, I was intrigued with some of the ones that you had down there. Um, tell us how you der derive those or came up with those. Um, <laughs> we, we're going, you know, I wrote the book quite a while ago. So, so okay, uh, well, that's okay. I, I mean, you have some adaptogens in there. Um, uh, I really like that you had, um, uh, alpha GPC you had in there. Um, so I, I guess were those just ones that you researched on your own that have L-theanine that modulate the adrenaline response and, and stuff like well, that? It, you know, again, adrenaline <clears throat> also acts as a neurotransmitter. And, and, you know, so these are supplements that are actually good for neurotransmitters. Um, right. Um, you sell, are you, do you, I, I didn't, I didn't go on your website. Do you have your own um, nutrients that you that you recommend as well, or is it mainly just the um, the dietary approaches and the uh, and the progesterone? No, well, we have all the <clears throat> the usual supplements, you know, in, along with the the hormone creams. So, gotcha. Um, what's your next What's your next book? <laughs> um. I don't know. That's a, I, but I, I think about it all the time. Um, I, I, you know, I have a lot of anger I, I'm toward the medical system. And it, so I, I don't know if I should be writing a book. Um, but, but, you know, people don't, to me, the medical system represents what's going on with it, with our whole political situation right now. 
Um, Make sure you release that because they're going to have too much adrenaline dominance if you if you don't. And you <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. So so I always I, I always do like to ask my my guests uh, what you wish you would have. I'm interested to hear your answer now, given given what we've talked about. What you wish you may have done differently, or what you would have told your younger self, looking into the future, knowing what you know now, from the perspective of it would have gotten you closer to your goal before you knew it, or it would have avoided some obstacles or hurdles, or would have advanced your health and your wellness. Um, what What do you think those pieces of information would have been? You know, <clears throat> um, I had a run-in with the medical board in California. And uh, it's not because patients complained or I harmed somebody. It's because <clears throat> doctors were upset that when their patients came to see me, I took them off all their medication. And that's true, I did. Uh, but, but again, remember, I, I approached their problems from the cause, okay? So they reported me to the medical board and the medical board is funded by drug companies. So when they heard there's a doctor who's taking people off drugs, they went after me, probably more aggressively than any other doctor ever in California. And I, you know, and uh, I finally, finally was forced to surrender my license, even though I've never harmed anybody. The uh, but you can't you can't fight the medical board. Um, so, but if I had to do over again. I would have learned not to antagonize all these doctors <laughs> or the medical board. I'm just saying. Would you have taken another profession, like another specialty that doesn't have sort of the front lines or more acute? Because that what I've said is I, I'm from a you know a traditional based family and I'm an alternative based practitioner. Um, and and medicine 1.0, 2.0 is great at acute based care and you know, a heart attack, a ruptured spleen a broken bone but when you have a chronic based problem or a stress based problem or a perfect storm environmental genetic based problem the model doesn't fit very well unless you're in the acute based specialties so do you think you would have changed the specialty or would you have done it differently in terms of just um uh, not rocking the boat, but being more of a, a puppet, or would you have gotten into a different specialty altogether, or a different profession altogether? <clears throat> Just kind of curious. I, I I don't see myself ever doing that. Medicine <clears throat> has always been a passion for me, and and it's very um, it's very rewarding getting people well, and I would never want to give that up. Um, I I just would have changed my attitude towards. Good. You, you know, the, the medical board's ec experts read my books and and they all said the same thing, that the ideas in these books were so dangerous that I should never have been practicing medicine. And and yet all the book talks about is using hormones to get people well. You know, treating the cause of illness, but I, I could see where the medical board is protecting the drug companies and why they would say that. But that's who they are. So, so what do you mean then? You wouldn't have been, you wouldn't have been as, as you wouldn't have written the books, or what, what would you have done? No, no, I would have, I would have, no, nothing would have changed except, you know, for example, you know, they, I had to take some, some, um, some special exam <clears throat> down in San Diego, 
And and when I was talking to these doctors there, and they asked me how would I approach a certain problem, you know, for example, asthma. I said, well, you know, when we put somebody on asthma on, on progesterone, their asthma disappears. They, yeah. In other words, this is something that is so far removed from the concepts of what they're used to. So, so they failed me. Uh, so I would I would have learned to be more accessible and and agreeable. Um, but I some someday I, I think they're going to look into the medical boards and see how they treat what are called alternative medicine doctors. Um, you know, they allow doctors to prescribe opiates and kill people to go on for years before they go after them. And that they don't have a problem with. But using an alternative way of, you know, a natural way of healing somebody, they will not allow. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> okay. Right. But so, okay. So you've written these books and you, you, I guess what, we don't know what's next necessarily in terms of what book you would write, but I guess maybe what is it that I'm curious that what do you, what gives you pleasure? What, what makes you happy? Answer well. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'd have to think that I would have to think about for a while. Um, well, you already mentioned helping patients, right? So are you still, even though you're not on the front lines in that way and getting that satisfaction, like when you put the progesterone on that gentleman's arm and it was the best thing that he's ever had, do you still get to experience feedback from your readers or from, well, from people that are getting your help from, from your product line and so forth? You know, people do get in touch with me, you know, the phone numbers on the website. Um, and I do you know, talk to people about some of their problems. I spoke to a, a woman this morning who, who has a two-year-old, a two-year-old son, who for four months had colic, four months, almost nonstop colic. And um, if she, unfortunately, if I had spoken to her, you know, colic, you can get rid of colic in five minutes in a child, five minutes, just by rubbing progestin cream on the belly. Um, so I, I still... I'm reaching out and trying to help people where I can. I'm not allowed to practice medicine. I've been arrested four times so far. Um, uh, but, um, okay. It's, um, but medicine, I, I would not change the way I practice medicine. Right. So it's a, it sounds like a love-hate in that you you got to help a lot of people and discover and go down these different rabbit holes to figure out how you can truly listen and, and help people. But at the same time, we're sort of vilified for, for doing it the way that it wasn't recommended. And I, I'm sorry that that's what you've had to experience. Uh, I, I do thank <laughs> you for your time on, on today's podcast. Any other um, words of wisdom or any other um, commentary things that you want to discuss before we, we sign off here? Well, <clears throat> I don't know when this is going to be uh, shown, but, you know, we're coming up to July 4th weekend and a lot of firecrackers. And this can scare dogs. And what people don't realize that progesterone is wonderful for dogs. And um, it gets rid of, you know, you may have heard of um, 
um, anxiety, you know, when people leave, uh, separation anxiety in dogs. You can get rid of separation anxiety in about one minute with progestin cream put into the ear of the dog. Mm. And and also, it'll take away their fear of thunderstorms and firecrackers. So Just... um, the... Uh, you know, I I could mention a lot of other things about what progesterone could do, but um, but people, but um, people, if they're interested, I think we'll get a lot of information out of my book. Um, right, and the book is called uh, "Adrenaline Dominance," and as well as the miracle of bioidentical hormones and the Platt protocol for for hormone balance. Your name is Michael Platt, MD, and we will leave links to your websites. Uh, or your website so that they can check out more information from you. And um, I appreciate your time today. And thank you for being so candid with your information. <laughs> You're more than welcome. Hey, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of your Adrenal Fix podcast, where our goal is really to teach exhausted and burnt out adults the truth about adrenal fatigue so that they can get their energy back quickly. And if you happen to be suffering with your own exhaustion and fatigue-based problems and you're not getting answers and you're frustrated and you're concerned and you really want to get back to the things that you're not able to do, then maybe it's time for you and I to book a discovery call. If that makes sense to you or what we talked about makes sense to you, then this is an opportunity for you and I to troubleshoot and figure out what's going on in your body, what's not working, what have you tried, how's it impacting you. Most importantly, figure out where you want to go with your health and why you're not able to bridge that gap. And if I feel I can help you and all the things that you need to be doing, I can recommend to you, I'll let you know. And if I don't know, I'll tell you that too. But my goal is for you to leave this call with a step-by-step -step game plan to learn how to bridge that gap and get your life back quickly. If I feel I can help you, I'll tell you what that will look like to work together. However, there's no obligation to do any further work and there's no charge for the call whatsoever. It's just really a one-on-one -on -one time for you and my team member or myself to get true value out of what's not working with your health and what are you missing in order for you to make that next step. If that makes a lot of sense to you, then go ahead and go to www.adrenalfatigueworkshop.com, all one word, Adrenal Fatigue workshop.com forward slash apply now spacing is limited and it's a first come first first served basis and you have to be willing to to make that next step to get your health back or at least be serious about it if we feel we can help each other just go to www.adrenalfatigueworkshop.com forward slash apply and i look forward to giving you value and getting you your health back